Well, hey there. If you are a guest at Autumn Ridge, if you're new here, let me just say this is not how we typically do things. I much prefer giving the sermon live and in person. I love you guys. I love being with you. I love being around you. It's one of the reasons that I just plant myself right in the middle of the lobby at the end of every service. I love connecting with as many of you as I possibly can. The reason that I'm not physically with you today is because I'm right here. Along with Pastor Otis and a small handful uh, of people from our church, I am in Ghana. And I hope you remember uh, Pastor Emmanuel Mustafa. He spoke here the past couple of Novembers. We're partnering with him to plant churches in rural villages in northern Ghana. I'm also going to get the privilege of doing some leadership training for about 50 pastors. I love this partnership that we have. Uh, And I got to tell you, this is what I'm getting in return. Uh, I get to learn leadership from Moose, and I get to learn leadership from the pastors who were there in Ghana. And Moose is probably one of the greatest leaders that I've ever had the privilege of knowing personally. I'm just incredibly grateful uh, for this opportunity. And I just want to say to you that I'm, I'm grateful for you, for those of you who partner with us in ministry through your through your participation on on a ministry team, through your prayers for our church, through the way that you give financially. And when you give financially, every time you give financially, you are funding the mission right here in Rochester and around the world. So from my heart, I just want to say thank you. Now, today is the last day. It is week four of our series, Devoted. And in this series, we've tried to just slow down and really focus on our approach to life and think about the kind of people that we're becoming. And even if our lives are very different, I know that we share this in common. We want to have a rich and full life. We want to grow in maturity. And so this has been our thesis every week throughout this series. It's both sobering and encouraging. Our series thesis is this, maturity is possible, but it's not inevitable. And this is the sobering part, that maturity is not automatic. Uh, Just because we're getting older, that doesn't mean that we're getting better. If we're followers of Jesus, just because we're getting older, that doesn't mean that we're becoming more like him. But here's the encouraging part. We really can grow. We can really experience greater life with him. We can experience maturity, and it doesn't have to stop. It doesn't matter how young we are. It doesn't matter how old we are. I want to introduce you to Sarah Simpkins. Sarah Simpkins is 101 years old. It was eight decades ago uh, that she dropped out of college when she got pregnant with her first child. She went on to be a mom of 12 kids. And recently, she decided she wanted to finish what she started. She wanted to finish her degree, so she re-enrolled in college. And she is in the same graduating class this year as her granddaughter. And believe it or not, Sarah Simpkins is rocking a 3.5 GPA. Isn't that awesome? Now here's the deal, living things grow. We were made for life. And this is what Jesus said. You can read it in John 17, verse 3. Jesus said, this is eternal life. It is to know me. And eternal life, I mean, that's not something we experience later. Jesus intended for us to experience it right now. And if we want to grow in that, if we want to mature in that, it's going to start with being with him, becoming like him, And doing as he did. And it's that third one that we're going to talk about today. Doing as Jesus did. Now here's the good news. Jesus made sure that it was clear. We don't have to guess at what Jesus did and and the kind of stuff that he wants us to do. After his 
crucifixion and resurrection, but before Jesus returned to heaven, he gathered together all of his followers and he gave them crystal clear instructions. You can read it in Matthew chapter 28. And this passage is so profound. It's so just important that it comes with a title. It comes with a nickname. We know it as the Great Commission. Let's read it together. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. I just love how raw and gritty and honest Matthew is and how he gives an account of how he reports this moment. I mean, Jesus gathered together uh, all of his followers. This is, uh, I, I mean, just imagine what it was like to be there. You're there with Jesus. He's talking to you. He was clearly dead. Now he is not dead. He's doing some teaching. You're in this group. Everybody just kind of starts worshiping Jesus. And yet, simultaneously, some of them could not bring themselves to believe what they were experiencing. They doubted as they worshiped. And you know what? That's okay. That's allowed. You don't have to have everything figured out right now. You don't have to have an answer to every question. I really want you to hear me on this. You don't have to know with 100% certainty where you stand with Jesus today in order for Jesus to speak to you today, to meet you where you are today, fully including everybody who was there, doubters too, and with zero judgment, Jesus talked to them. He said this, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What we just read is known as the Great Commission, and this is the basis of our church's mission, which is to lead people to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's our mandate. And you know what? It doesn't begin just when we go to the other side of the world. And it's not just for people who have the title of pastor or missionary or whatever. It is for all followers of Jesus, all the time, everywhere we go. Believe it or not, the call to be a missionary is for you too. We are ambassadors of Jesus repping Jesus in every arena and every corner of our lives. This is why we end our services each week the way that we do. The way that we end our service, it's called a benediction. And at the end of the service each week, we read the exact same set of verses. It's not a rut. It is a habit with a purpose. And we read 2 Corinthians chapter 5 to remind ourselves that we are compelled by the love of Jesus we don't live for ourselves. We live for him. A couple of weeks ago, I introduced a concept, and I said we'd talk about it more today, and it's this right here. Our lives are to be an intersection where heaven meets earth. Our lives are to be an intersection where heaven meets earth. And I really want you to hear me on this. The gospel is just as much about getting heaven into you right now as it is getting you into heaven later. An experience with us, an encounter with us, is supposed to be more than a pleasant encounter with nice religious people. 
Experiencing you and experiencing me truly supposed to be an encounter with heaven meeting earth. So let me ask you, how's your intersection? What does it look like right now? Here's a picture of a pretty organized, nice, peaceful, calm intersection. Is that what yours looks like? Or maybe yours looks like this. I wish this wasn't true, but I got to tell you, it is way too easy and way too normal for my life to look like and feel like this. And maybe you can relate. And if this is what it's like for you, this is what it's like for me, it doesn't mean that an encounter with us is going to be unpleasant. But an experience with us will be something less than heaven meeting earth. Last year, I took a class that we offer here at our church that's taught by uh, Pastor Svea, and it's a class that's all about practicing uh, the Sabbath. And I'm almost too embarrassed to share this with you, but you guys make it really safe for me uh, to be honest with you, so I'm just going to go for it. I approached the class with a little bit of a bad attitude. And I, I started taking the class, and I thought, I'm pretty decent at taking a day off. I just don't see the value in, in studying the practice of the Sabbath. I could not have been more wrong. Following the example of God, not just following the command, but following the example of God and really understanding and practicing the Sabbath, it revolutionized my life. It has transformed my life. My life doesn't look like this anymore. My life doesn't feel like this anymore. And i got to tell you, I've become convinced that it's this right here, this is a major reason that too many of us are not experiencing life all the way to the full with Jesus. We have another Practicing the Sabbath class coming up real soon, and I want to encourage you to check it out. Maybe, maybe you want to take that class too. Maybe you're going to experience the same thing I experienced. I want to share with you something from Rich Viotis. He is a pastor and author who I think just has buckets of wisdom to share with us. This is what Rich says. He says, our souls were not created for the kind of speed to which we have grown accustomed. Thus, we are a people who are out of rhythm, a people with too much to do and not enough time to do it. Our lives can easily take us to the brink of burnout. The pace we live at is often destructive. The lack of margin is debilitating. We are worn out. And all of this, the problem before us, is not just the frenetic pace we live at, but what gets pushed out from our lives as a result. That is life with God. Now, you guys are probably the smartest church that I've ever been around, so you know this already. But sometimes it's helpful just to be reminded. It's easy to confuse being busy with Jesus it's easy to confuse, excuse me, being busy for Jesus with being busy with Jesus. I'm getting this wrong. Let me do this one more time. It's easy to confuse being busy for Jesus with being with Jesus. They're not the same thing. It's 20 years ago. I was a brand new youth pastor at a church, and I discovered that I had an all-star volunteer on my team. This guy showed up all the time. He was incredibly helpful. He had a great attitude. I loved having him around. He would even show up to help with projects, and I didn't even invite him to come and help. I mean, this guy, when it, he was above and beyond when it came to being proactive. This is, what I, this is what I learned, though, is that he had ongoing, unresolved relational friction with his wife. And he had ongoing, unresolved relational friction with his kids. And it became pretty obvious that showing up at church was a whole lot easier than showing up at home. 
Now, I'm not judging this guy. He just wanted to feel something better than his current experience with life at the moment. I get it. Who couldn't understand that? And he thought the way to the better life was being busy for Jesus. Let me tell you, I just don't think Jesus gave his life so that being busy for Jesus would be our approach to life. Peter Scazzaro is another pastor who I've um, benefited from tremendously from his writings. He wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And in that book, he lists 10, 10 symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. This was the top, the number one symptom. Using God to run from God. That's what my man was doing. He was using church busyness and ministry busyness to run away from that life, not run deeper into life. I want to put some truth on the screen. This might be some stuff that some of us really need desperately. Following Jesus probably looks like doing less, not doing more. Following Jesus probably looks like slowing down, not speeding up. Following Jesus isn't about adding to our lives. It's exchanging our lives for his. We don't accept Jesus into our lives. He accepts us into his life in his way. Back in the day, my all-star volunteer was busy with a lot of good stuff. But it wasn't the stuff of life, and it certainly wasn't for his life at that time. He was trying to be busy for Jesus, but he wasn't walking with Jesus. He was not covered in the dust of his rabbi. And if we are going to be apprentices of our rabbi, we're going to have three driving goals. Be with your rabbi. Become like your rabbi. And do as your rabbi did. If any of this is new, I would really encourage you to give yourself the gift of going back and watching any of the sermons that you missed in this series. But this is the relationship with Jesus that he intends for us. He is our rabbi. He is our master. And we are his apprentices. And we want to be fully devoted to him. And we use three words to help us really understand what that is about. Those words are authority, identity, and activity. And today, the one that we're focusing on is is activity. So I find joy in doing as Jesus did and loving others the way that he loved me. Now, this is what we're talking about today. This is what we're focusing on today. But this is not where we should start. And I, and I really want you to forgive me if I'm, if I'm being repetitive. But this is not where we start. And we just go wrong if this is where we start. And one of the reasons we go wrong is because this is where we start. And if our approach to life begins with what we are doing. It is just gonna go wrong. We don't start with doing. We start with being. Being with Jesus. And flowing out of that, we become like him. And we do as he did. We don't start here. But maturity means that we get here. 
Luke uh, was a physician and a historian in the first century. He wrote a biography of Jesus' life based on extensive interviews he did with eyewitnesses. And if you read it, you will find uh, a recording of Jesus' very first public sermon in his hometown. We're going to read that together. This is Jesus standing on business. This is Jesus telling us what he's about, what his life is full of. And if we're followers of him, we're going to do as he did, what he talks about in this sermon. Luke chapter 4, we read, Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read. Uh, The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, and by the way, he's quoting Isaiah 61.1, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Everything that you just read, it's about me and that's what I'm about. Now we're going to recap really quickly. This is, this is Jesus' life. This is what Jesus did. Proclaim good news for the poor. Those who are poor figuratively and literally. Freedom for prisoners and freedom for those who are oppressed. Figuratively and literally. Recovery of sight for the blind, blind figuratively and literally. And he proclaimed that God's favor is here and it's available to you. Now, what this is, this is nothing more than Jesus putting love into action. That's what he's doing, putting love into action. I want to ask, what would your response be if I told you that it was Jesus' expectation that every one of his apprentices, it was Jesus' expectation that every one of his followers would do the exact same things that he was doing? John was an eyewitness to Jesus' life, maybe Jesus' best friend. He wrote down things he heard Jesus say. He wrote down this that Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. And we look at this, and understandably, for some, this just feels far-fetched. i got to tell you, I've seen with my own eyes, God just show up and do stuff that will blow your mind, things I don't know how to explain. But I don't walk around trying to do miracles. You don't walk around trying to do miracles. I can understand why some people just have a hard time taking this seriously. Let me tell you what I don't want to do. I don't want to use my time. And I don't want to use my mental energy to try and explain that away. Do you? Instead, I want to use my time. And I want to use my mental energy to truly try to understand and trust and take seriously what Jesus is saying in this. John Mark Comer is a pastor and author who I'm just growing to appreciate and respect more and more. He's the guy who wrote the book called Practicing the Way. That book has had a huge impact on me, a huge impact on this series. It is the book, Practicing the Way, that we're hoping that all of you will get and read. And in it, he responds to this passage that we just read. He said, greater than miracles New Testament scholars debate what exactly Jesus means here by greater things than these. But on this they align. Whatever he means by greater things, 
He doesn't mean lesser things. I'll be straight up with you. I don't think Jesus meant that we would do greater things in quality. I do think, I do think Jesus meant that we would do greater things in quantity and maybe even in extent. I mean, think about some of the things we get to be a part of. Anytime we partner with a couple that's on the brink of divorce, and we get to be on their team as they set down bitterness and unforgiveness, extend forgiveness to each other, and rediscover restored love. That's amazing. It's pretty amazing when we get to bring health care to people who had no access to it. It's pretty amazing when we get to contribute to the recovery uh, of people who are experiencing hurts, habits, and hang-ups in their lives. It's pretty amazing when we get to be a part of planting churches where there were no churches. It's pretty amazing to be able to contribute to the fact that there are kids in this town who are not going to bed hungry. And it is pretty amazing to be a part of walking with people out of death and into new life with Jesus. Man, I think Jesus meant exactly what he said. And when we do as he did, and we do whatever it is we do, we do it just like Jesus did, with 100% reliance on the Spirit of God who is with us and who's in us. Let's turn back to Jesus' hometown sermon. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. If we're going to be about what Jesus is about, if we're going to be doing as he did, we're going to do the exact same things. We're going to proclaim good news for the poor figuratively and those who are poor literally. Freedom for prisoners and for the oppressed, figuratively and literally. Recovery of sight for the blind, people who can't see figuratively and literally. And we get to be about proclaiming that God's delight for you is here. God's favor for you is here. For all who are in Christ, you experience the unfiltered, full pouring out of God's favor and delight. That's amazing. This is how we go about doing as Jesus did, loving others the way that he has loved us. This is how we join Jesus in putting love into action. And as we do it, we do it remembering it is not based on our effort and our ability. It will include our effort and ability, but it's based on the power of God through the Spirit of God who is with us and in us, that makes us living, breathing, walking around temples of God everywhere we go. So let me remind us, our lives are to be an intersection where heaven meets earth. What if you took that seriously? What if I took it seriously? I mean, what if we, what if we took it so seriously that, that the Spirit of God is with us and in us. We're so gripped by it, we're so captivated by it, that we begin to think and act like this was true. Let me put some categories of life up here. We could put more, but this is the only time and space that I have. I want you to imagine with me, intentionally, 
purposefully, mindfully engaging all the aspects of your life as though Jesus were the one who were living your life. And that's the goal. I want to remind us what the goal is. The goal is to be like Jesus. And as we do that, some of these things might get better. They may not get better. Some of these things might change. They may not change. Some of these things might get fixed. They may not get fixed. But that's not the point. That's not the goal. The goal is for us to be like Jesus. And what if we focus not on things that we think we can fix, but on what we can contribute by doing as Jesus did, loving others the way that he loved us. Just think about that in regard to politics and the way that we vote and the way that we post about it and the way that we talk about it and the way that we engage people who vote very differently and think very differently from us. I'm going to say something next, and I know you're going to think I'm crazy, and I, I get it. What I'm going to say next, it's crazy talk. But what if our reputation was different? What if the reputation of Christians and politics was different? What if the reputation of evangelical Christians and politics was different? Or right now, everybody expects us to be like everybody else. Grab power, keep power, and use power to achieve an agenda. But what if? What if we fully engaged from local stuff to national stuff, engaging it as though it were Jesus who were living our lives? I want to ask some questions. Do you think, just think about it, do you think Jesus would give his allegiance? If Jesus were living your life, do you think he'd give his allegiance to a presidential candidate? If Jesus was living your life, do you think he would marry himself to just one political party? I think this next question is going to be easier. If Jesus was living your life, do you think that he would ever casually explain away pride, deceit, abuses of power, morally egregious choices and lapse in character? This one's easy too. If Jesus were living your life, do you think he would ever approach any issue from the standpoint of fear or worry? Now, I really need you to hear me on this. I need you to hear me. I am not, I am not suggesting that we be cynical about or dismissive of engaging in politics. I think we should engage all the way, locally to national stuff. But I think, what if we did so, so captivated by Jesus, that as we engage, our intent was for heaven to meet earth. And because of the way that we engage, people are catching a glimpse of Good news and freedom and recovery and favor. If you're having a hard time imagining that, maybe today is a day to begin next steps in expanding your imagination. Maybe you pray and ask God, would you expand my imagination for how I can engage in such a way that it's like you were living my life? Maybe a next step is to begin reading books by folks who have spent a lot of time carefully thinking about this. How about our money? Does my spending habits, does what I do with my money, does it look like heaven meeting earth or does it just look like I'm trying to get as much earth as I can get? When it comes to our financial practices and our financial habits, is it easy to see that we are apprentices of our rabbi? 
Does it look as though we are joining him and invested with him in the proclamation of good news and freedom and recovery and the message that God's favor is here in Jesus Christ? What I'm talking about, we could apply to every aspect of our life. And just as just a small sample, there's more that I don't have time or space to include. But we could just slow down and begin to think about it in this way and ask ourselves, in, in this aspect of my life, in this corner, this arena of my life, why would it look like if Jesus were living my life? What about, what about our work life? For those of you who are in the service industry, what would it look like for you to contribute good news? and freedom, and recovery, and favor, and the way that you show up to serve people. If you're in medicine, what would it look like to contribute good news, and freedom, and recovery, and favor, and the way you show up to care for those who are sick? If you are a manager somewhere, what would it look like for you to contribute good news, and freedom, and recovery, and favor, and the way you show up to provide oversight. If you're in education, what would it look like for, for you to contribute good news and freedom and, and recovery and favor and the way you show up to teach? What we're talking about right now is being on mission with Jesus with our whole lives. What we're talking about is joining Jesus in every aspect of our lives, doing as he did, loving others the way we've been loved. What we're talking about right now is the stuff of the Great Commission. If you don't know who Dallas Willard was, he was a brilliant philosopher who taught at USC. He was a writer. He devoted much of his life to really thinking about spiritual formation, how we grow to become more like Jesus. I want to share something with you. It's a bit of a long quote, but it's so good. I think you'll be glad I did. He said, there's a special evangelistic work to be done, of course, and there are special callings to it. But if those in the churches really are enjoying fullness of life, he's talking about us, if those in the churches really are enjoying the fullness of life, evangelism will be unstoppable and largely automatic. The local assembly, for its part, can then become an academy where people throng from the surrounding community to learn how to live. It'll be a school of life where a disciple is but a pupil, a student. New Testament records are practiced, <coughs> excuse me, New Testament uh, records are practiced and mastered under those who have themselves mastered them through practice. Only by taking this as our immediate goal can we intend to carry out the Great Commission. We all already have an approach to life. And it's been my hope that through what we've covered in this series, that you would be inspired to really know Jesus and that you would adopt as your approach to life being an apprentice of Jesus. And as we do that, we get to experience life that is truly life, life all the way to the full, and we get to be about helping other people come to know and experience that too. So let's go be with Jesus. Let's become like him. And together, let's do as he did. You pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this approach to life.
and this new life that you've given us through Jesus and that we are not alone, that your spirit is in us. God, may we be so captivated by this treasure that you have placed in us that we are filled with joy and that we are filled with a desire just to be with Jesus, that we grow to become like him, that we would be on mission with him and that you would use us to see many, many, many more become fully devoted followers of him. And it's in his name we pray, amen.